city because of the garbage. And, um, and even they're breeding in Nairobi anyway. You are listening to Hi, podcast listeners. We've got a bit of a special episode today. Tony and Angie just got back from their honeymoon in Africa. And so we've got an interview that they did with their guide, Dominic, about urban wildlife in Kenya. Their conversation about urban wildlife in Kenya will be part one of this episode. Then we've got sort of a bonus part two. Dominic is Maasai, and so they had an interesting conversation about the Maasai people and Dominic's life growing up and his life story, which is fascinating stuff, doesn't quite fit his urban wildlife conversation. So we split it off into a bonus part two. We hope you enjoy it. As always, Thanks for tuning in. Please rate us highly on your podcast listening app of choice. Please tell your friends about it. Please give us some feedback at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. Please find us on Twitter at herbwildlifecast. Please find us on Facebook. These are all great ways to get in touch with us. Let us know what you think and suggest some story ideas. I'd like to thank Patreon donor Sarah Clips, who just chipped into the Urban Wildlife Podcast. Thank you very much, Sarah. We're glad you like it so much. You want to help out. All right. So, welcome to the Urban Wildlife Podcast, live from Kenya. Uh, This is your co-host, Tony Crosdale, with my lovely wife, Angie Fredrickson. Hello! Hello! And Dominic, uh, could you please tell me your full name? Well, yeah, thank you very much, Tony. Uh, My name is Dominic Lopono Miranit. I'm a Kenyan from from Samburu, which is a Maasai branch. And actually, entire, in the entire of my life, I've, lived, uh, I've been living with this wildlife. And uh, this is what uh, has led me to be a guide. Yeah, so Dominic's been our guide. Um, we did a group tour uh, for our honeymoon. And uh, I knew, I was at our briefing, I had my bird book open, and people said that you uh, saw me reading a bird book and said Dominic would be, of the three vehicles, Dominic was, was the best birder and he's a phenomenal birder so that was fantastic so we've been with dominic for the whole group tour which is f- uh five days and then we stayed two days longer and we uh you, you used dominic for two more days of of guiding so we went to the uh, lake elmatasha um also um, went to uh masai mara national park for two days and then we went back to nairobi went to nairobi national park and then today we went to Lake Navasha, and Lake Navasha is your home, right? Uh, well, yes, uh, this is my home for now, but um, originally I'm from northern Kenya, like a, a part of, of Kenya called Samburu. So I had to move to this area because of uh, education, and then it's closer to my workplace. So you you mean you have an apartment in, in Nairobi and you have a home in Lake Navasha? Yes, my family don't live in Nairobi, um, so I... I have a small house for myself, just um, in case um, I'm working in Nairobi, then I have somewhere to stay. And on the way, so this is the Urban Wildlife Podcast, and we focus on wildlife that live in cities. And on the way to the, uh, the Masai Mara, and I, uh, we saw, actually it was a little, on the way to Lake um, Elamitasha, we saw a colony of yellow-billed storks and pink-back pit, uh, pink pelicans in downtown Lake Navasha. Yeah. So, could you talk about that colony, how big they are, how long they've been there, and why they're nesting in a city and not along the lakeshore? 
Uh, yes, Tony. Uh, anyway, uh, about the yellow-billed stocks and the pinkbacked uh, pelicans, the breeding sites are, have been very, very hard to allocate. And uh, here in Naivasha, we are just uh, very glad to see them breeding. And uh, what we have never known before is that uh, they can share the same uh, breeding site with pink pelicans. But uh, it's uh, actually a great pleasure to see them together. And uh, it just, just happened that um, probably a few months old uh, since um, uh, they started breeding. So it's not something uh, that has taken long to be there. Is it how long again was it? Uh, probably six months. Only six months? Wow. Only six months. That's, uh, uh, it's just a few days we were dis discussing about the breeding um, sites. But uh, uh, that's when uh, some of us actually got to know that there are some breeding colonies at Naivasha town. And, and for our listeners, when I say these are nesting in the city, I mean like they're nesting along the biggest road and trees above the road and like on a median in the road and right in downtown Navasha, like not like on the outskirts, like right in the city. And Yes, Naivasha, because of the uh, Afro culture, it just attracted a very, very huge population of uh, people, uh, people of all tribes. You know, Kenya has got about 44 tribes. And uh, I think it's almost every tribe is represented here because of um, employment opportunities. So Naivasha itself has got a big, big population. And uh, if I say 90, it's just a record of those who were counted during the, uh, the election time, the, who, those who could vote. So the population is actually quite higher than 90,000. Yeah. So um, when we were in Nairobi, we saw yellow-billed kites, pied crows. Uh, what other wildlife would you see right in the city? Now, not in the park, but but in the in the in the in like downtown Nairobi, what, what kind of wildlife, you know, birds and mammals and what have you? Uh, well, uh, apart from birds, actually, there are no many other animals. Although there are some cases of lions uh, sneaking out of the, uh, the park fence and uh, just wander on the streets. But, uh, the, the, you know, the Kenya Wildlife Service are always on alert. Just in case they get out of the fence, they come and dot them and return them back to the park. But hyenas also have been reported visiting in the compounds, but uh, nothing much uh, actually to report, except the animals like genet cats. Genet cats are, can be seen anywhere near human human habitation. So those ones you can see in the gardens, one uh, wandering here and there. Although now we have a high number of dogs, uh, domesticated dogs, so those ones definitely push them out of uh, visiting the villages and uh, that thing. Uh, I read a, an article about there was a train station in Nairobi, maybe the abandoned one. Um, I forget which one it was. That had they found three leopards living there that were eating dogs, they were hunting dogs. Have you heard about that? Uh, pretty well, yeah. You know, Nairobi itself is surrounded by big forests, so uh, and you know, leopards are a little bit of canny cats. Yeah, they can be anywhere, yeah. and um, for them, they can eat anything: dogs, cats, chicken. So they are opportunistic. So there are a lot of those cases of the uh, leopards sneaking into the villages, steal the dogs, and run away. Yeah. Wow. And uh, what what are the, some of the common birds you see in Nairobi? Uh, the the common uh, what we call urban species is the uh, speckled pigeons, 
we have the yellow bill kites, pidecrones, uh, the marabou stalks, uh, which definitely are attracted to the city because of the garbage, and um, and even they're breeding in Nairobi anyway. So those are the main species of birds. We have other raptors, but those ones cannot be confirmed because they are just like uh, random visitors and they live again. Yeah, we saw a bachelor right outside the city. Like, uh, well, yes, sir, but that was a little bit away from Nairobi City on the island. Uh, you know the suburbs of Nairobi that has uh, more like a wood, wooded areas yeah yeah there's still plenty of houses in, in uh, around them yep. when we saw it so yep. it, was, it was like suburbs kind of suburban yes. landscape in Japan, the so. neighborhoods yeah um oh I guess we'll go quickly back to like Navasha why why do you think we saw so, they started uh, nesting in the city rather than around the lake you know we, we, we took a boat trip around the lake today and we saw you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cormorants nesting and herons nesting, but we did not, you know, I didn't see the storks and pelicans. And why do you think they're nesting in the city and not uh, right on the lakeshore? Well, Tony, that was still need to be done a, a research because um, it is our first time to see them breed there. So we don't know why they, they decided to pick that uh, particular, uh, those particular trees, which are just uh, below, I mean, above the road. And uh, because if we discuss of disturbance uh, along the lake shore, I think that where now they are breeding is more disturb disturbed than uh, than the lake shore. So we still need to check what um, what made them to choose that particular place, because the yellow bill stalk are not garbage um, garbage eaters. So uh, there must be something uh, attracted them to that particular area. Yes, because got... even you see the pelicans. Pelicans should be breeding by the lake, but uh, they decided to join them there. And it was very interesting too, because you could smell like it smelled like fish. Like obviously they're they're coming and feeding their their, the chicks. their chicks fish, you know. Yep. And like it and uh, it, it smells so strongly of fish. They're not, you know. I mean, obviously I don't think a pelican can eat anything but fish, you know. Like yep. so, in a stork can maybe scavenge. Yeah, but, you see, but, like uh, Lake Naivasha is a rich of fish, both uh, endemic and uh, I mean uh, both um, indigenous and exotic, because we have uh, the cryfish, we have. Um, uh, the common carp from Scotland. Uh, we have the black bass from uh, Brazil. So we have all this sort of fish. And uh, now, you know, uh, they brought in uh, another species of fish called um, uh, mudfish. So I think uh, the rich uh, population of fish in the lake attracts all these. So probably this is why they found, uh, it, uh, you know, the best the best places to breed away from. Probably uh, the the. the the cormorants, which are very noisy and all that, and uh, so, but still near Naivasha to reach the lake, get food, and go back to the nest. So that's what probably what I guess it is. Now, yeah, we noticed. You know, Angie pointed this out. I'll pause this. Starting again. Um, Angie noticed that there were a, a huge amount of cormorants, and it reminded her of the cormorants we have back home. And um, she, as, what what'd you say, Angie? The, your quote about the cormorants? Uh, do you mean their similarity to the the nesting? You, you, what you said about the nesting? I don't really remember what Tony's asking <laughs> me to say, but I basically do you mean just how many there are? Yeah, like you said, they seem like are they taking over here like they are in America? Oh yeah, I did notice. Um, my mother lives in Dallas, and White Rock Lake. Video from my mother, and I said, Mom, it's just 
just like Dallas, the car brands would just take over. And, in, um, and I did say, it seems like it's always that way when there's car brands. They just become the really dominant uh, bird, wherever they are. And that has been... Yes, that, that's exactly what I wanted you to repeat. Oh, um, and I noticed that in in, in Philadelphia, in, in an island in between Philadelphia and New Jersey, and in um, in a breeding colony of egrets and herons uh, down in uh, near Cape May, they got completely taken over by cormorants, and now it pushed all the herons out. And I'm wondering, is in Africa and in, in Kenya specifically, are you seeing cormorants living near people and, and taking over uh, t- taking over waterbird colonies and pushing out the the egrets and herons and storks? Is that something you're seeing? Ah, uh, yep. You know, um, definitely. As you saw, the flocks of um, I, call, I mean uh, pelican, I mean cormorants. Cormorants breed in huge colonies, and uh, they breed they, they breed almost all year round. So they don't give chance to other birds to breed on, on the same trees, and uh, you know they also pose some some competition on um, fishing because um, you know they are big fishes, uh, fishing birds. So probably the, the, the noises they make because they're really very noise uh, can also push others away. And which species of cormorant are these here? The, uh, that, we have three species of cormorants here, but uh, the the one that breeds along the lake is uh, the greater uh, white-necked cormorant or greater cormorant. Yeah, the long-tailed cormorant, uh, I've not seen any, any nesting down here, but uh, I guess they do also breed in uh, big colonies. It's funny, uh, we talk about great cormorant. That bird lives from Australia yeah. all the way through uh, Asia, Europe, Africa, and there's a population in eastern Canada down to Maine, and they winter in um, along our east coast, and I can actually see them in my city in the winter. And it's the only, there's only probably a few thousand at the most great cormorants in North America at all. So it's actually like my city is known as a good spot to see this bird, which is funny because we just saw, you know, thousands of them today. Wow, yeah. Uh, uh, also Nakuru. Nakuru, Nakuru, and there is another lake called Lake Oloidin, which is just about, uh, west of Naivasha. That is another big, big, big nesting place. Yeah. Now... Let's talk about hippos. <laughs> so we got... What is it about hippos? Well, there's hippos in Lake Navasha, and the city comes very close to it, and the village comes right up to the lake, yeah. right? So um, what are... do? How far up... Um, do, do you consider that the city goes all the way to the lake, or do you consider it ending before the lake? Well, uh, as we mentioned about the population, definitely you, you understand there must be some encroachment right. to the lake. And uh, you saw the big, big uh, greenhouses all around the lake. It's just like uh, closing the gap, the grazing areas of the hippos. So at night they have to wander long distances away from the water to get their proper grass. As you know, they are bulk eaters and they need a lot of grass. So they have to walk their way out through the, I mean, between the fences. and. Uh, get out to graze under the backyard in the morning and so and 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 people are attacked by them and when absolutely yeah we have a lot of cases uh, even in hotels uh, like a few months ago there was a, a Chinese tourist who was attacked by hip because they thought that they are friendly so she went as as close as uh, 
less than a meter try to get the, 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 the picture of the hippo grazing. So, because pe uh, hippos don't take pictures, they decided to wow. take something else, to use something else. <laughs> yeah, anyway, the, the, the client was killed, but you know, it's our mistakes. Wow. And you have a friend who lost his legs to a hippo attack, right? Not once, many of them. Many friends. I, have, uh, I know many people who have been attacked by hippo while they are fishing. And um, if they survive, they are lucky, but uh, many of them do killed by hippos. Wow. So, um, you were Maasai. Yes, I am. And we, you took us to a Maasai village uh, in the Maasai Mara. Yeah. And I noticed that there were um, birds in the village. Um, could you describe a typical Maasai village and, and talk about like what wildlife lives in the village? Well, I don't think we have any animals living in the village, but... Um or, or uh, I mean, including birds. Yes. Okay. We have some sparrows. We have uh, some weavers, which are very common uh, by the villages. Uh, but as you saw, the Maasai Maasai land is almost like uh, unoccupied, and uh, this is uh, what has given the animals opportunity of living with the Maasai. And even if in history, the Maasai we have never uh, learned to kill animals. And uh, anywhere you go in Kenya, the only place you find a good national park and a good national reserve, a conservancy, you name it, is the Maasai land. Because the Maasai live with animals, hum, uh, you know, peacefully. We coexist together with animals. You saw the other day when we were driving, uh, actually the, uh, the wood beasts, zebras and gazelles were barely meters away from the, the, the domestic cows. So even the Maasai can just walk, the only thing that has to keep away from uh, I mean, the mass I have to, to stay away from is buffaloes, uh, elephants, lions definitely will walk away from the Maasai. So it's only those uh, dangerous animals. But still, we live peacefully with them because we don't really attack them. Uh, lions comes in, uh, you know, we tend to uh, fight with the lions because of domestic animals. But if these lions can, can, can get an an option of what to, to kill but not domestic animals, then we will leave this with them. But now we have uh, some organization try to, uh, uh, to compensate all the damages caused by these predators. So definitely they will make a difference. Yeah. And, and let's talk about the weavers. Um, there's a one called a, a village weaver. Yes, the black-headed village weaver. And is it called a village weaver because it lives in villages or it builds its own houses uh, together like a village. It is either because they live in the villages, but also they make village, they make a village of their own. <laughs> and Many nests together. Would you say that's the most common, like weavers are the most common urban bird? Because everywhere you go, every rest stop, in in the, the garden of the hotel in Nairobi, everywhere we went, there's, there's weavers. It's not really the commonest because we have the Spex weaver. Spex weaver is the commonest. And you always see them, uh, in hundreds uh, on acacia trees or any other trees with thousands of nests all around the tree so the spex weaver is the commonest yeah i think um what else we covered quite a bit um yeah. angie do you want to weigh in on some of your favorite um oh real quick you said uh we were, we were watching a pride alliance yes and they perked up real quick and you said you mentioned something that if they hear a maasai bell yeah. They'll run, and, and and so, how are how are uh, 
how are our lions able to be you know how, how's that happen how do they know the bell why are they afraid like you know i mean a lion that's you, you know, know 400 pounds and very powerful and there's 10 of them how, how are they afraid of of of, of people like you know how, how do how do they get that you know, kind yeah. of association you know animals uh actually tony have um have senses and uh uh, before the conservation, actually, Masa used to practice lion killing. So, and these animals have been living with these Masa. They know when they, they hear the bell, that is like the cows, and the cows has to be accompanied by the Masa people. So they know definitely the only way is to hide. That's all what we saw because, um, you know, there were some noises and they, they decided to run in. But uh, after realizing that there was not, it was not cows, you saw them coming out and start yeah. walking free uh, out in the field yeah have you seen yourself um, lions or leopards in like amongst um, houses or in a city or or oh, yes this is the life I lived yeah and we have been running you know uh, running uh, around with the lions and the leopards taking goats so it's something uh, common to our villages yeah something very common and how about in in uh, any cities? Have you seen personally? Uh, in the city, I've not seen myself, but um, just uh, cases about it. Just hearing cases. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most unusual thing you've seen in a city? Like a elephant or anything like that? Like what? Well, no, uh, I haven't seen any elephants. So I don't. I don't. I don't really think I've ever seen anything unusual. Okay. Yeah. You know, when we were um, we were at a park that's very near and dear to Tony's heart yesterday, yeah. uh, Nairobi National Park, because Tony loves urban parks, yeah. and that is just a phenomenal park uh, where you literally can see the skyline of downtown Nairobi while you're looking at yeah. rhinoceros. <laughs> and we were very lucky to see a lion, a lioness hunting yeah. at dusk, and she had a radio collar on. Yes. Now, is this because of the fact that even though they have fenced in the park, sometimes the lions escape? Is this uh, the reason? The radio is not purposely for that. Okay. Uh, you see, like, uh, in the park, they try to monitor the areas that lions covers and, uh, you know, how far they cover in the park. So it's not necessarily for the uh, for the... Uh, for them to get out of the park. Even those cases of uh, lions sneaking out of the park, they are very rare cases. Oh, yeah. It's probably once in 10 years. So that is purposely to study the lion's behavior within the park. And, uh, yeah. That makes sense. So are they interested in some of the other animals? Do other animals in the park, like the black rhinos, for example, have radio tags? Yes, 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 they do have... um, but okay. for them, they don't have a, a collar, but they put the, 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 the trucking uh, jeep in the in the in the horn. Oh, there's like a GPS in the horn. Yes, yes. That's so interesting. Yeah. So uh, you said the the park is fenced in, but tell us how big the park is. Uh, the park is, um, you know, uh, the, the size of that park near the city is relatively very big because it's 117 square kilometers. You can convert it into into miles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so that is uh, actually the size of the park, and um, 
it's surrounded by people all around the park. So it's just the mother nature controlling the population because the moment the population start growing, I don't know what are we gonna do with the park because it's, uh, it may not be enough. Oh, I see. Yeah. Now, how do you how do they get um, um, genetic diversity, right? Like they're 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 surrounded, you know, by people. They're they're fenced in, although I'm sure the fence is, has breaks in it. But you know, I know it's in my park. It's hard enough to to fence in a few acres um, from deer, let alone 117 square kilometers. Um, but how do they ensure that there's genetic diversity? Like, do they bring in animals periodically from other parks and vice versa, so that so that they can uh, so to avoid interbreeding? Or is that big enough to avoid that? Uh, okay, for now. Uh the size of the park and the number of animals that are in is still uh, still good. They can still, uh, uh, you know, they can still uh, avoid interbreeding. But uh, 117 square kilometers for the lions, I don't think it is in a, a big enough for the uh, male lions to run, uh, you know, to run away from the or to live away from uh, the anato pride. Mm. So. I guess uh, in the next few years to come, uh, we will start seeing interbreeding between lions and uh, probably genetical problems. You yeah. never know. Yeah, but I've not seen anyone bringing any bringing in any animals. So it's just the natural animals that they found in there are still the one breeding, and that's it. Yeah. And um, the Nairobi National Park is run by um, the Kenya Wildlife Service, or is it yes. from the city? It's run by the Kenya Wildlife Service. Yeah, where we went in, uh, where we went through, that was the headquarters of our Kenya Wildlife Service. Yeah. And there's, um, we saw that the, there's the ivory and other poaching um, confiscated materials, burning pits. So that was our part one about urban wildlife in Kenya. We hope you listen to part two. It's got more conversation about the Maasai people, their place in Kenya today. Uh, and Dominic's life story, which is fascinating stuff.